Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody today, and uh, happy uh, Friendsgiving to you. Um, hope that uh, you're not only here for the message today, but also uh, the fellowship that comes afterwards. Uh, we're glad you're here with us today. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, uh, my name's Roland. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's uh, my privilege to get to share the Word of God with you today. So, um, <clears throat> I don't know um, about many of you, but like, um, how many of you are uh, planning on uh, going to family for Thanksgiving, meaning you're traveling for Thanksgiving? Fantastic. Fantastic and great. So, um, bless you. I hope that's um, a great time for you. Um, but why we have Friendsgiving every year is, um, number one, to make sure that we as a church family um, get to uh, share the love of God and rejoice in all that God's been doing, you know, as a community. And then, uh, number two, also open the doors uh, for people who may not have um, a place to go and may not have a home. And so if this is uh, your first time here, we welcome you. Uh, we welcome you and um, hope that you're blessed by your interactions today. Um, so today I'm going to uh, jump right into the scripture as we have it. Um, today, we've been doing a message uh, over the past several weeks called Seasons, and uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about how God meets us in the different seasons of our lives. And uh, today, what I want to um, talk about is really in the midst of the seasons that we pass through, trying to find out um, how we can actually have food in honor of Thanksgiving and Friendsgiving, how we can actually have food that does not spoil food that does not spoil in the pursuits of our lives. And so today, if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to uh, John chapter 6. Um, if you do not have a Bible today, um, I think it'll be on the screen for you. If not, just listen attentively, and I'm going to read slowly, okay? So we're going to talk about food that does not spoil today, at least in uh, three parts. We're going to talk about uh, the problem at the end of the rainbow, we're going to talk about the problem at the end of the rainbow because everybody's got that metaphorical pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that they're shooting for, that they're striving for, that they're aiming for. The problem at the end of the rainbow. And secondly, we're going to talk about what you're actually looking for. And then finally, we're going to end by talking about the bread of life. The bread of life. Okay, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us today. God, we thank you for your eternal promises that we find in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. God, we're asking you today that uh, your word would be open to us, that we'd be able to see, even in the midst of um, all that we're doing and our living and our striving and our achieving in life, God, we'd pray that we'd be those who uh, really are able to not only receive your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, but order our lives so that we could work for food that actually does not spoil. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're going to open up with uh, John chapter 6, and this is um, right after Jesus had one of his greatest, most familiar miracles. It was actually the one where if you've read anything of the Gospels before, you are familiar with Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? He uh, took two fish and five loaves of bread and multiplied them and fed 5,000 men, not including women and children. So there were several thousand more, more than likely, that were in that place at that time. And we're picking up on the tail end of that, and it says that on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. So after Jesus was uh, feeding the 5,000, then he went on. And it said but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place 
where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And it's a funny question right on the heels of him multiplying two fish and five loaves for several thousand people. <laughs> they said, what sign can you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son of Man and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I, I, I like the graphics too, thank you. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so starting off, talking about the problem at the end of the rainbow. The truth of the matter is, is that we all have pursuits in life, and what we're looking for in life is ultimately to be satisfied and to be fulfilled. We all are um, pursuing careers. We're pursuing relationships. We're pursuing dreams that maybe you even had as a child or that were impressed upon you as a child, and they give you a sense of who you are to be if you're to be somebody um, in this world or what's going to actually make you happy in life. The problem, though, is that at the end of the rainbow, at the metaphorical end of the rainbow where the pot of gold should be, it says, the truth of the matter is that our vats can be full, but our souls can still be wearied, disoriented, and empty. Our vats can be full, but our souls can be wearied, disoriented, and empty. Now, I say that because we are in a particular city and we're in a um, particular culture where you're uh, surrounded by not only great need, but you're also surrounded by high achievers. You have this great uh, dichotomy there, right? You're always faced with the needs of the people of the city as you're walking the streets of Chicago. Um, but in the midst of your workplace or in the midst of your academic setting, you're also 
seeing people who, to the degree that they've been able to at the point that they are in life, they've achieved something that is enviable by the world, right? Anybody ever been surrounded by that before? You have both that need and the uh, plenty working at the same time. Intrinsically, though, we know that all the success in the world, this is what a man named John Maxwell said, that all the success in the world literally means nothing if at the end of the day you aren't loved and respected the most by those closest to you, right? And sort of like at the end of the day, part of the wisdom that those who've gone before us have imparted to us is that it's like you can have all the money, you can have all the success, you can have all the things of achievement in the world, but if those who were walking with you, those who love you the most, don't love and respect you, then it really means nothing, right? That's part of what we remember at times like Friendsgiving. But despite, despite the fact that we know these things intrinsically, in life, we're more often driven by things like these. We're, we're more driven <coughs> by things like FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? How many people have ever found themselves subconsciously before being driven by a fear of missing out? You didn't even want to do the thing that you were doing this past weekend, but it looked so good on social media that you had to at least try, right? There was a fear of missing out. Everybody else was doing it, you needed to take part. People are driven by the hashtag living my best life now. How many people are tired of that hashtag? Okay, <laughs> okay, yes, it gets annoying after a while, okay? Um, we are driven by the pursuit of the perfect relationships, whether they be romantic or when you finally have a relationship that you enjoy, one with your children, having some sense of uh, relationship with your children that you can, at, at the end of the day, say is blessed. When you begin to age, people are uh, driven by a search for the fountain of youth, right? Our beauty products are trying to give us an understanding and a hope that, you know, it doesn't matter how old you are chronologically, you can still live at forever 21. The thing is, is that we have a, we have a thirst for defining culture and prestige, right? Defining culture and prestige, something that tells us that I'm cultured or that I've, I've experienced the finer things in life, and this is what gives me uh, meaning in my existence. And then at the end of the day, we're driven by our search for our storybook ending, right? Everybody, we always read these tales. We always read, our, um, we see the parables, even the modern parables in our movies, and everybody's looking for their storybook ending. I know many of you are hooked to the Hallmark Channel right now and you're looking for that storybook ending during the Christmas season. But the thing about it is that there was a man named Ravi Zacharias who was commenting on what uh, Jesus said, talking about not working for food that spoils. And he said that the loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate, and it has let you down. The loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced that which you thought would deliver the ultimate and has let you down. And I think that all of us have been in our pursuits uh, in a point in life where we realized the thing at the end of the rainbow that we were looking for just didn't measure up to that which we thought it would be achieving. And this is what Jesus is talking about where he says that food that spoils or food that perishes ultimately has a shelf life to it, right? It has a shelf life to it. And you're always battling to maintain a sense of control, 
to create the perfect environment and scenarios for the food to stay fresh lest it deteriorate, right? All the things that people are going after in life, the food that they're working for, it's like it produces in us a a driving sense of I need to control my environment, I need to control my relationships, I need to control my career, I need to control everything that's going on in my life because if it it just goes off by a little bit, it'll spoil and end up disappointing me. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way that I designed you to live. This is exhausting and is, what Jesus, is that from what Jesus ultimately in his eternal life that he came to give you wants to free you. He gives you food that does not spoil, that leads to eternal life in him, one that will ultimately satisfy you because it's the life that he actually created you for. Jim Carrey, I, I know he was uh, many of a, many a man's uh, favorite comedian back in the day, right? but Jim Carrey has been going through a metamorphosis as of late. Anybody have a favorite Jim Carrey movie? Okay, anybody remember In Living Color? Let me tell you something. All right, so it's like, <laughs> all right, so yeah, so, but Jim Carrey ultimately came to a place in his life where he said, listen, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so that they'd see it wasn't ultimately the answer to anything. That's what Jim Carrey said. He was at the peak of all of his career. He was at the peak of his achievement. He was at the peak of all of his life. And he says, ultimately, I wish everybody could experience what I've had so that they could understand that the pursuits that they're going after won't ultimately satisfy them. And he was only repeating that which Jesus said. And the problem is, is that even having all of your material and perceived experiential needs met, what's at the end of the rainbow lacks the promised luster of animating, sustaining life. See, whenever Jesus showed up on the scene, he said this. He said, listen, I'm I'm telling you at the end of the day that just as there is a real God, there is a real devil. You can try to live in a naturalistic world all you want to and try to ignore the reality of spiritual life. But he said there is a real devil who at the end of the rainbow has come to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And Jesus said, to the contrary, I've come that they might have life. You might have life and have it to the full. And that life that he's talking about is not just the business of life, not just going to work day in and day out and trying to fulfill your responsibilities and your duties. But he said, ultimately, the animating presence of life is what I've come to give you. It's that which actually satisfies you, that which actually fulfills you, because it's found in me, the author of life. And the problem at the end of the rainbow is that many times people are trying to find their happiness without the God who created them, who's ultimately the source of that happiness, the source of actually that animating presence. And Ravi Zacharias continued on in his um, book, and I commend it to you, Can Man Live Without God? It's a book called Can Man Live Without God? He actually said, I'm absolutely convinced that meaninglessness And so many people, even high achievers, have dealt with meaninglessness in life, right? Saying, is this all that there is? He said, I'm absolutely convinced that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. And that is why we find ourselves emptied of meaning with our pantries still full. We can have full pantries, but empty souls. Why? Because we've been searching and working for food that ultimately spoils. 
This is what Jesus is commanding us to repent of and telling us to turn from in him. What you're looking for, what you're looking for is this, that we long to live a satisfying life of love, meaning, and purpose that can only be found in proper relationship with Christ. Why? Because the Bible says that everything was made by him and for him. That means that it's only going to have its proper functioning in him. If you try to take something out of its original design, as an example, if I try to, as a judge, use a, uh, my watch that I, I guess, used to wear as a gavel, <laughs> it would actually ultimately break the watch because it was living outside of its function. And in the same way, the lives that you are living today, if they're li being lived outside of the author of life, ultimately it's going to break and be dysfunctional. The relationships or the things that we find ourselves so often in, we describe as dysfunctional because they're outside of him. And Timothy Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, where people often try, try to find so much security and so much hope, he describes what we're trying to look for. He talks about facing the complexities of commitment with the wisdom of God. And he says, ultimately, what we're looking for is to be loved. And he says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. If people really knew who I was, if people really knew my deepest, darkest secrets, right? would they really still love me? What we're looking for is a love that says yes. He says, but to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. But that type of love is only found in the all-consuming love of God. You see, people have been going to relationships to find it, only to be disappointed again and again, whether it be through a romantic relationship, a friendship, or even a child, saying, I'm looking for the love that will satisfy and complete my soul, right? But old Jerry Maguire, you complete me, right? They're looking for the people that will complete them, but finding over and over again that it's falling short because ultimately that love is found in God himself. And as people learn to love and be loved by God, then they're able to love others properly. Without that orientation, they continue and perpetuate the dysfunction that we see in the world around us. And the recognition, ultimately, even in the Christian camp of Jesus Christ, is not enough. Because people can recognize and they can adhere to the tenets of Jesus Christ and his doctrine well enough. But if they don't build their lives around him, if they don't order his, their lives around his purposes, seek him in his word, in prayer, and in the fellowship of his community that he gives you, then ultimately what happens is we're still on the same trajectory as those who live without God. And the recognition of Jesus Christ has to be more than a mental assent. Jesus and his word must be the bread that you feed on daily for the life that is truly life. 
And without it, you'll find yourself working for the food that ultimately spoils. Working for the food that ultimately perishes. Working for the things that ultimately disappoint you, though God's got better for you. And it's why J.I. Packer, who was a great theologian, he wrote in his book, uh, Knowing God, he said, disregard the study of God, which is something different than just having an agreement with who God is. He says, disregard the study of God. How many of you are students in here? Or how many of you remember being a student, right? It's sort of like you had to pursue something if you wanted to make the grade. You had to pursue something if you wanted to go on to the next step, if you wanted to actually find those letters after your name. He says study is different than knowledge. Study is something that you grow in. Study is something that you actively pursue. But he said disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded. As it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way, you can ultimately waste your life and lose your soul. You can waste your life and lose your soul. Why? Because even calling yourself a Christian, you're finding yourself working for things that ultimately perish. Working for things that ultimately spoil. It is only through the contextualization of Scripture and the life of God exemplified in his word and us patterning, patterning our lives as disciples after that word for his kingdom call that we actually are able to come into the life that's truly life. This is what Jesus talked about. And whenever Jesus called himself the bread of life, he wasn't using empty metaphor. He wasn't using empty metaphor, but he was basically saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you a relationship that will be life-giving to you. Whereas the other pursuits of life can suck you dry. Anybody ever felt sucked dry before <laughs> by the rigmarole, the ins and the outs of the day, and say, golly, why do I have to get up today? Anybody remember saying that? I'm talking about this past week. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> he says, I want to give you more than just the rigmarole. He says, whoever believes in me, whoever feeds on me will never hunger. They'll never thirst, right? I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. That's good news. What's he talking about? Is he talking about just a physical hunger? The answer is no. He's talking about a spiritual hunger, right? The thing that actually satisfies you. The thing that at the end of the day quiets that nagging voice that continually tells you, you are not enough, you are not doing enough, you'll never achieve enough to be somebody. Because God's already settled that for you on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus said, it's finished and now my identity will be your identity. In the sight of the Father and in the purpose that I'm giving you to walk out in life. Why he says, I'm the bread of life, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Ultimately, in understanding Jesus at the bread of life, it's understanding that our needs can only be fully met by the creator of those desires. You hear that? You have desires, even natural desires. Why? Because there is a God who created those desires. 
desires for relationship, desires for identity, desires for achievements, desires for even success, which God speaks about in his word. And he says, I'm the creator of those desires, but they'll only fully be met in the one, when you're properly aligned with the one who created them. And if you try to find yourself fulfilled outside of proper alignment, you'll ultimately be dissatisfied, dysfunctional, and fail. Continued repentance, a continued renewing of the mind through the Holy Scriptures, meaning the Bible, is key to, understand, um, to accessing this life that is truly life. I love what C.S. Lewis, you've heard me mention it if you've been around for a while many times before, but he said this, you know, many times people are like, I just can't put my finger on why I am so unsettled in life. I can't put my finger on why I'm so dissatisfied in life. And C.S. Lewis said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. See, ultimately, you're living a life where he's trying to prepare you for the life to come, eternal life. It begins now, but it continues on through eternity. And he says, I'm trying to bring you into friendship with myself, but let me tell you something. You've got to orient yourself properly in faith and repentance to come upon it. And Rabbi Zechariah, he said, and Jesus, among other gods, he said, we do not live ultimately so that... <coughs> We can eat. We don't just live to eat. Nor do we just eat so that we can live. Right? It's not just food for my body. He said, life is worth living in and of itself. Life cannot be satisfied when it is lived out as a consuming entity. If all you're doing is looking to consume... When it is filled by that which satisfies a hunger that is both physical and spiritual in a, mutually, in a mutuality that sustains both without violation of either, only then can life be truly satis um, satisfying and fulfilling. You hear what he's saying? Only when you live it out in a balance, right? I'm, yes, working to meet my needs, but I am not rejecting the priority of Jesus' life and his kingdom. Where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these other things will be added to you. Because he says, listen, the people who don't know God just run after all the things that are going to satisfy them, but never do. But don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, right? What kind of car you're going to drive, what kind of trophy you're going to have on your arm. Don't worry about such things. Why? Because your heavenly Father, what, knows you have need of them. He said, but seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Orient your life properly around his kingdom and his purposes first. And he said, all these other things will be added to you. And then, and only then, will you actually have the life that's truly life. The life that ultimately satisfies and is fulfilling. To break out of cycles of 
knowing this but not living it. We need to end our cycles of living lives full of justifying sins of omission and commission. What I mean by that is knowing the good we ought to do but not doing it. <laughs> Saying yes and amen over and over again, right? To the word as it's preached but not actually putting it into practice. We live lives of justifying sin of omission and commission. I'm going to end by giving you three points of what we can do if we want to actually work for food that does not spoil. Number one, if you've never done this, you can come to the cross, and even if you have, <coughs> you can come to the cross and accept Jesus' saving work for your life for my life through his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. When you come to the cross, what you're doing is you're choosing to deny yourself and your worldly ambitions, not ambition, but worldly ambitions, meaning what I mean by worldly is just a, a proper orientation, an improper orientation rather, working for things that spoil rather than working for God. He says, repent Put your trust in Jesus, receive the forgiveness of your sins, and be made a new creation. Where God says, listen, I, I don't even know how to start that. I don't even how to know how to do that. Well, God says, here's the good news. I'll give you a new heart, and I'll give you a new spirit. And what you feel all stony and hard on the inside, he said, I'll give you a heart of flesh. You've been hardened by life because you've been disappointed by it over and over again, pursuing the wrong things. He said, I will make that heart of stone a heart of flesh. And I'll come and put my spirit inside of you, and through my word, I'll empower you to live for me. You need to come to the cross first. And at the cross is repentance, where I'm repenting, I'm turning, I'm changing my mind, I'm turning away from my self-sufficiency, and I'm turning to the actual bread of life who can give me the life that I'm actually looking for, the true life. Secondly, you can understand this repentance is not just a prayer that you pray or a one-time encounter with God, but you can understand what John the Baptist said as a forerunner of Jesus. He said, I want you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Why? Because the ax is already at the root of the trees, and any tree that bears good fruit is going to be what? Become more fruitful. But he says, I'm going to throw whatever tree doesn't bear fruit into the fire, and it will be burned. He says, literally, I'm telling you, this is the good news, that not only do we repent once, but we are like people who need to daily come back and reorient our lives around him. And if you are a married man or a married woman, you can say amen to that, right? Because you get married, you say your I do at the altar, but it is a, an effort and a work to reorient your life around your spouse as a priority after God. Is it not? Okay, and everybody who's not married, can you say yes and amen to that too? <laughs> okay. It's the same with God, right? A daily repentance saying, God, I'm changing my mind. I'm giving myself to you in the church, and I'm going to be baptized and added to your church so that I might be surrounded by the encouragement that I need to walk this out on a daily basis. J.I. Packer actually explained repentance this way, though. And I hope this helps you if you are just starting in this walk with God. He said, repentance means 
um, means turning from as much as you know of your sin. To give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. You understand that? That's much more than a simple sinner's prayer. You hear that? Because God, the inexhaustible, the perfect, the holy one, is continually showing you by his kindness who he is. And he says, at that point that you were willing to repent before, that was great. But now I'm drawing you further up and further in. And now I'm cutting off that which does not produce life so that you might bring you in this season of your life into that which is actually life. Seasons, right? He addresses different things in different seasons of life, does he not? He sure does. And finally, number three, what must I do? I must be transformed daily by the renewing of my mind so that I can continue to feed on the life and purposes of God in Jesus, the bread of life that does not disappoint or spoil. What does that mean? I can, it means that I must seek his face and seek him. Here's the qualifier, always. Simple command, but oh, so hard to obey. He says, seek his face and seek him always. Why? Because each day when you get up, you're going to be working for something, and you're going to have a choice to make. You're going to be either working for the food that perishes, or you're going to be working for the food that leads to eternal life. And ultimately, he says, I want you to live in that sweet spot, in the life that's truly life, in him, the bread of life. So we'll end by repeating John 6, 40. Jesus said, at the end of the day, I'm the author of the rainbow too. <laughs> I'm the author of the rainbow too. And where you need to land is this. In this good news that this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up the last day. Doesn't matter where you've begun, you can change today. You can repent and believe the good news today and start being filled with a life that's truly life as you walk out of this place in Jesus' name. Amen?